0: bear and this is sawdust boogie if you desire to reconcile being an old soul in a new world stick around you're welcome here he's taught me how to barbecue field dress and skin a deer repair my diesel motors repair my gas motors he catered my wedding which consisted of slow smoking 100 pounds of pork butt while simultaneously acting as a groomsman He's been a shoulder to cry on and a constant inspiration and example of what it means to be a great man. So with that being said,
1: let me introduce you to Uncle Phil. How are you today? Wow. Wow. Thank you, man. I'm doing great. It was easy to write that
0: short of one. I could have written. There's so many things that I've learned from you in in such a short
1: time. Well, I'm flattered. Well. I could say the same, though. (laughs) A lot of things. Well, I appreciate that, but we're here to pick
0: your brain today. Um, And let's see what, there was something that I was going to ask you. Oh, you have more hobbies than anybody I've ever met and you commit to them on a pretty intense level. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Well, what would your most
1: recent, I don't know, like two or three hobbies be that you've just gotten into? Oh, that I've just gotten into. Yeah. Well, I would have to say that buying the franchise is somewhat of a hobby because I had to uh, go from thinking I knew how to fly a drone to uh, flying an aircraft with a camera under it. And explain so, a little bit what your franchise does. So I uh, we do visual uh, content for real estate agents. So we do 3D tours, and I don't mean 360, real Matterport 3D tours. Uh, Aerial drone video, aerial drone stills. Uh, We do stills inside. And then, of course, we can embellish them as much as they need to be. Uh, But, you know, that was forever a hobby that I've told you about. My dad was an RC pilot and a pilot. And so I grew up around RC planes. And then I flew drones. But I'll have to say, and that's for a whole nother podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We could get into, uh, what did I learn in my first two months when I thought I knew what I was doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll have to put an inexpensive drone in my hands
0: so I can understand the realities of that. Yes. I had, uh, my brother and I, when we were, I guess this was probably 15 years ago, maybe when I was on, I was shined down. He came out to spend a day off with us in, uh, somewhere in, I think thousand Oaks, California. And we ended up getting a little too inebriated and made it into the mall and found the kiosk that sold the little helicopters that I guess were like primitive yeah, drones.
1: Right. And we bought a couple of them. And I mean, I don't know that I ever kept it off the ground for any length of time. <laughs> that That's for another podcast too. I'll tell you about my 300 series helicopter. I thought I'd flown enough of the small ones like that, that I was really good. I was ready to step up, but that's a whole podcast too,
0: well, I got this baby in the house with a charger and the original remote. I'm oh, sure no. the battery's fried. Some point we need to dust her no. off and let's get her flying.
1: Let's we got to.
0: I'm pretty sure it's like a Huey. It's, oh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, it's sweet. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Okay, so uh that's hobby number one would yeah. be let dr- let's just call it drone flying to yes. put it put yeah. it in a simple terms. Right. What's another one?
1: Well, you know, a lot of mine are not really necessarily brand new hobbies. Uh, most of what I'm into right now, I've been into for a while. So we just obviously came out of duck season and I really don't think about much of anything during duck season, <laughs> except ducks and duck season and hunting. And where am I going to, where am I going to go tomorrow morning at two thirty in the morning? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, so, let me,
0: let me ask you about this. There's, there's one thing that
1: I've seen laying around a lot
0: that yep. I think you've, if you've done it a while, you've been reinvigorated into it, which is leather working, right?
1: Absolutely. I probably stepped that game up the last couple of two or three years. Okay. Yeah. 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 I I started it. That's another one. You know, a lot of these go back to my dad. You know, uh, my dad and a friend of his, when I was real little, his friend made me a little miniature saddle. And I mean, it was a full handmade, like you would have put on a horse, but it was, you know, it was four inches long. That's incredible. Yeah. So I've always been intrigued. And I could do rough stuff for a long time and I could rivet things, but I was always intrigued to learn to hand stitch and do the finer things. And, uh, I took a challenge and I decided I was going to build a primitive water canteen, leather and wax.
0: Yeah, I've seen it. All right. Mm -hmm.
1: That was probably the most challenging thing I've ever, ever tried. So yeah, that really stepped it up and I learned a lot too. (laughs) I learned a lot. Now, that one I completely did the primitive way. That was my goal. I did it exactly the way it would have been done with the tools they would have used back in the day when it was done. Um, I rice packed it, uh, stamped it down, made it bulge, uh, hand-heated wax, and waxed it inside and out. So waxed the seams, uh, hand-trimmed a wood cork for it, and waxed it. So Every piece of that was done just like they would have done years ago.
0: Now, the, the leather working to me, the reason it seems intriguing is because it seems like it's a step forward towards self-sufficiency. like When you don't have to rely on somebody to make a holster for something or a belt or like that seems like a, the, another level of, like I said, just self-proficiency.
1: You know, most all of the hobbies, uh, I think anyone that if you're going to put that sort of a time into a hobby, that it really should be a self-sustaining hobby of some sort. Um, you know, yes, we don't know what kind of times we're looking at now. You know, you never know when you're going to need to be able to. Right. You know, now the downside of that is like right now, there's a coat laying in my office. My daughter brought it. Daughter ought to be sewing. Says, dad, I ripped a seam (laughs) on my coat. I need you to sew my coat for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my dad handed us a
0: a needle and thread early on. You know, he wasn't going to fix four boys buttons. No. And so, yeah, I learned early, but.
1: Yeah. When you grow up on a farm, uh, like I did, grandmother made all of the granddaughters and all of the grandsons learn to do everything. And so we had to learn to sew. We had to learn to cook. We had to learn everything. We were a lot. When I grew up, of course, there were a lot of things you did. You know, it was a lot different when you grew up on a thirty-six hundred acre farm. <laughs> you really weren't a kid long. You yeah. know. You, you got to be, don't get me wrong, we had fun. You know, I can't tell you how many cold rice wells I've swam in. You know, it, it's a blast. Do you're snakes a, get up there? Well, not really in the cold water. Okay. And by right. the time there's about six grandkids jumping around in it, they're scared off. We were a lot meaner than the cotton mounds were. <laughs> I, I would swim in the top of a, a what you're saying. what What is it? It's right before they went to all the underground irrigations, we had a big well that would come out and it would either be a four or seven or an eight inch pipe and it would be three quarters full pumping cold water out of the ground straight into a big round pond and then there would be a canal that ran out that you dug and ran where you relifted your water into all the rice fields or bean fields so you didn't have all the the, back then that you didn't have precision level ground you had levees yeah all right so everything was pumped through ditches everything and that's where a lot of our wildlife went you know, people wonder where's all the quail, where all those fence rows are gone, all those canal ditches that they ran and ate, all of that, all of that natural habitat's gone. You know,
0: that's funny. Uh, when I went to see my grandpa's farm a while back, I was telling Jessica. I said, "Man, every one of these used to be shaded shaded lanes." Yes. And I said, they're all gone. They're now. all gone. It's crazy to Every see inch stuff.
1: is precision leveled and farmed now.
0: I was wondering, because I don't know enough. I don't keep up with it. But man, yeah, that was I a got trip. a real
1: wake up call duck hunting this year. You know, I was used to hunting in water that's knee deep and they don't do that anymore to rice field. It's uh, calf deep. <laughs> so we had wow. to relearn some things, you know. It had been years since I'd been in a rice field pit. Man. Yeah, that's so, crazy. Yeah. But, you know, things back then were a lot different. You know, we got up, I fed chickens, I, we had horses, we had cows, we had farm work to do. And I mean, you, you drove a tractor from the time you could reach the pedals.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's kind of how it was.
0: Absolutely. Um, I do want to tell people quickly, you know what? I'm not going to tell people how we met. I'm going to say it later and I'm just going to add it on the back end of this, the front end of this, but it's a great story. Not necessarily how we met, but, uh, how we, I guess, Found a man crush for each other. (laughs) When I adopted you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to get right into it. What? Uncle Phil is a man of many talents, one of which is he knows how to survive in certain situations where I certainly don't. And I feel like I'm fairly prepared for a lot of stuff. So I want to know
1: what you would consider your five ultimate survival skills. You know, this one was tough for me. Um, because I had to think about it for a minute and I had to kind of wanted to put it in perspective of what someone could use right now. We've been through a pandemic. There's not always something on the grocery shelves. What should you learn just in case? What if it was worse than it was this time? You know, um, so here we go. First, I'm going to start with what I think are, the fir- are actually five of the most important things to have if you're going to have to survive without a shop. Without a shelter, you're out somewhere. Oh my, what am I going to do, right? So, number one, a knife, right? If you can't have anything else, got to have a knife. Number two, you got to have a fire rod or a way to make fire. Got to have. Number three, you need a canister or a pot or some way to make water potable to drink. There's a lot of things you can do with a okay. pot. You can take a the lid and signal for help, but... Pot, very important. One of mine. A lot of people don't think about that. you got to have something to make water, you know, where you can drink it. Um, Number four, tarp and cordage. Because if you've got tarp and cordage, there's a million different things you could use that for. Somebody got hurt, you can make a makeshift drag and put them on it and drag, right? Make shelter, carry firewood. There's a million things you can do with a tarp and cordage. Yeah. So those would be, and then a compass. Okay. Right. Even
0: in 2021, when your phone has a compass, you still say a man needs a compass.
1: I think you need to, you need a compass and you know how to read it. You need to know how to read a compass. What, what if, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, right? Right. I'm a realist.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm a realist. But let's just say we were in grid down. You don't have your phone and you're in nowhere. Do you have a map somewhere of this whole area? Do you, where, Of course, I know you know it by this time pretty well, but. No, know, I've you, always
0: wanted it. And I've always respected my uncle because he's got like a six by six
1: map. Yes, sir. Yeah. And it's terrain. So once you got 30 minutes away from your house walking, would you know where you were going? If you were headed in a specific area, you've already been right. If you just needed to be able to get away and keep getting away or you wanted to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The other thing is a compass, let's say, you you know, a tragedy may not happen when you're at home. You may be on a trip, you know, you could get caught in gosh knows what, right? It could be as simple as getting caught in an evacuation of a hurricane and you're sitting for 10 hours and you can't evacuate, right? Those are the things I think about a real world. Yeah. And there's just a million things, like I said, you know, if you needed to for any kind of a thing. I think you could take those five things and survive. All right. Do you you carry an everyday bug out bag? You know, I've got a, yes, but it's not, I wouldn't call it a bug out bag. No. Uh, And I
0: hate to put you on the spot, but do you have all of those items or the majority of those items somewhere on your person
1: or in your vehicle? Oh yeah. You could walk out to my Jeep (laughs) and grab my bag out of the back and I've got two of all of that probably or three and then some added things. Yeah, all right. That's my boy. You know, hey, look, two is one, one is none. Oh, yeah. I tell everybody I always keep a spare for my spare. That's right. You have to, because two is one, one is none. Yeah, man. Yeah. There you go. All right. Now, the skills, that gets a little different, right? Okay. So, they do tie into these items. And so, one of the most important things you need to be able to do, obviously, is build shelter. Yes. Right? You need to know how to build shelter.
0: Tarp and cordage.
1: Tarp and cordage. Quick. Quick, easy. String it between trees. You can Keep use it. Snow quick. off you. In, Absolutely. And what
0: we're in right now.
1: You yes. can use it. Yeah. You can use just one single little roof line and strap it off, whatever you need to do. Right? You can survive with one. You can build a fire in the front of you, make it a reflector, get underneath. And, you know, there's millions of ways you can use it. Yeah. And I hate to interrupt you, but
0: I, I think it's important to know a handful of knots that you're comfortable with. In situations like that, you don't realize,
1: you know, I told you when we went into this, this could be, you know, (laughs) a four hour show. (laughs) That's the point. We got to get them hooked. Uncle Phil, we got to get them hooked (laughs) because there are a lot of ways, you know, you want to be able to pull it down quick too. And need to, if you need to move, but you don't want to waste a lot of energy, putting this stuff up and you're going to reuse your cordage. If you know how to tie knots.
0: Yeah. That's one thing. uh, Speaking of wasting your energy. Like I watched that show alone. And that's the one thing nobody ever factors in is how much energy they're going to burn prepping to to be able to sustain. Yeah. It's wild. Or how yeah. much
1: do you burn building, you know, building a shelter in the summer? Right. Yeah. You know. So I think that's number one, probably, uh, you know, shelter and then uh, fire building. Yes. All right. You can't make water potable unless you know how to build a fire. I mean, you can, but that's the easiest way. You can get water from anywhere, boil it, and survive on it. So, you know, keeping yourself warm, being able to hydrate yourself and have shelter, that'll get you through because you can, you know, you can last, I think, seven days without food. You wouldn't want to. It's hard for me to imagine. <laughs> so we'll move from there. Uh, again, the water collecting, purifying, that's along with uh-huh. the fire building, right? And your pot. Um, this is a PG 13 show. We don't, (laughs) (laughs) um, there are some bonus ones that I'm going to throw in because I think those are the three most important that you should learn. If you don't know how to do, I like it. Right. Firearm proficiency because so many new firearm owners, I put this in here because of that we hear every month of how many millions of new firearm owners we have. Right. Yeah. I okay. Think about that. Yeah. No. So just buying out of fear. Yes.
0: And have really no clue probably. No clue. Yeah.
1: Don't matter what your political stance is. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's yeah, buying yeah, out wow. of fear. Okay.
0: oh played, sir.
1: So what I think is important about that, uh, the step beyond that is you need to be proficient with that gun. So where that led me with this skill you know, don't go buy a $2,000 Gucci rifle and not have any money to train or spend ammo to get to. Because that guy with a basic rifle that spent $800 on it and then spent 1200 on training, guess what? He's going to take you out. So whether it's for protection or whatever it is, um, if you want to be safe and be able to teach your kids gun safety, get proficient with your firearm. Get familiar with your firearm. And I don't mean just go the range and pop shells down range. You need to know how to clear a jam. You need to know, you know, you're going to be in a stressful situation. If you ever have to use it, it better be second nature.
0: Yeah. That's hard to think about putting the time into that. But
1: You're in, you're in a stressful situation and you're going to be under 10 feet.
0: Yeah. yeah. Me to you. And you know, what's surprising to me too, is that I don't shoot a lot of handguns. I own a couple of them. Um, obviously I shoot rifles pretty frequently and I'm pretty proficient with a rifle when you put a handgun in your hand, it's a whole different ball game. It's a different I mean, it ball is
1: no skills to me cross over at all. Now you take an average guy like us that never wants to harm another human and think about having to pull that gun on another human and add that stress on top of the stress you're already under. Right. Yeah. You need to and all I'm saying is you're never gonna be able to completely deal with that stress. But what you can do is have everything second nature that you have to do. Yeah. Wow. Good one. All right. right. All right, then a few that I'm going to throw in that are not, I don't think, eh, they're not quite as, uh, two are really important, I think, that is uh, fitness. How are you going to survive if you... Did my wife pay you to put that in there, (laughs) Phil? Man, you got to get fit, dude. You got to stay fit enough to do what you got to do. First aid, you need to know a little basic first aid. Yeah. You're going to know it before you have a child. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, my brother's super hard on me about that now, too. You You need a first aid. You need to know how to do it. he was just, I I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. He just received captain. Oh. At 40 years old. It was his goal. And he literally got it weeks before. So he's going to be the captain of his, I hope I say this right, his fire. uh, Battalion. Battalion. Yeah.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. So. Congratulations, super proud of you if you're listening. You better be listening. (laughs) That's awesome. And I'm not talking to Austin or Sam, although I love them and I'm proud of them too. (laughs) Me too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be in trouble. (laughs) And they've met Uncle Phil once and all love him. So So then I'm going to throw a couple in, cooking and gardening. Okay, yeah. People overlook a gardening skill, totally overlook gardening skill. Um, and cooking, I mean, what good is it going to do if you're in a survival situation, you you know how, you've got the stuff laying here, but you don't know how to put it together and prepare it.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny that something that weighs heavily on my mind these days is uh, all these young guys that work with me through that are trying to find eligible women. And I keep telling them, I'm like, you need to learn how to cook for your woman.
1: You better, you better learn how to cook yeah. for yourself. And then. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, listen.
0: absolutely. but. You know, I, I told him, you know, it doesn't matter how good looking this dude is. Right. If he can't cook. Right. you can cook. Right. And you can crack a joke. Yeah. Then you're already, you know,
1: a level above. You got a jump start, brother. Yeah. yeah that's right.
0: <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I, I agree with both was, of those. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that wrapped up. I gave you eight of those, but. That's
0: fine. Five and we went for eight. So let's backtrack a little bit because on here I have, if you could only have one knife. All right. Considering this means gardening. Cooking. Yep. Protection. Yep. Shelter building.
1: Splitting yes. fire. What would your one knife be? I wouldn't. I won't go brand because it doesn't matter. Oh, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Okay. But it would be a fixed blade, full tang. Full tang. Yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. I want a full tang blade. I want something I can baton with. What does baton mean? Well, if you're, if you're putting together or if you're preparing firewood mm-hmm. and you need the kindling for the firewood, you take the smaller sticks. Mm-hmm. You can lay a big full tang knife across the top of it. You can take a piece of wood and you tap the back of the blade and split the wood with it into smaller pieces.
0: So then let's back up and, and correct my ignorance. When you say full tang... I assume that means that there's no serration at the end of the blade? Is that, no, or the full, inside
1: of the blade? Full tang just means the handle runs all the way through.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. So just like a good kitchen knife then. Good. Old you, anything yeah. that's metal all the way through with handle's attached.
0: Okay. Yeah. And what what length of blade are we talking? Did you say that? You know,
1: I'm going to say everybody's got a little bit of a di- of a difference of opinion on that. Uh, you know, mine's about 11 and a half. And then I the one I a lot of times I carry is a little bit shorter than that but I would say a good average uh bushcraft size and I know that's going to be reached for people too but um uh, a good hunting they used to call it a medium hunter Okay that was the old school name for it
0: medium hunter That's okay. the
1: size they used to call them as a medium hunter uh, A lot of people like a bigger knife than that but I like to be able to, to skin game or anything Now I'm gonna have, as you've seen when we cleaned your deer, I'm gonna have five different knives. Right. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. asked me about one knife. Yeah, no, I'm sure you've got show. one in your bag. I do. I I've I've keep one in one. my bag. Yeah. I've got the one I saw. You saw that Caney Creek Knife Works made for me. Um, that's a medium hunter that I just love. I, I would. That would be my knife if I if I had one knife. Yeah, I think mine's a Kershaw, and the handle
0: is actually um, parachute cord. So yes, the raths are there nice
1: there. knives. They make really nice knives. You know, Kersh, uh the K bars make phenomenal knives. K bar was my grandpa's brand. I carry. I've got one. Obviously, I yeah. may have given you one, but uh, you gave me. Uh, well, I use an old timer for skinning. That's right. Yeah. I gave you the Skinner.
0: Yeah, and uh, th- one brand that I love is I don't. I think
1: CRKT. That, yes, sir.
0: That brand's a really good knife. If yes. you're on a budget, that's some good stuff.
1: You know, everybody makes a. There's a lot of people make really good knives now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Every quality, the quality of a lot of knives. There there are some really uh, budget-friendly. You do not have to go spend $500 on a knife, you know. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I like me some bench mates, but
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: But, but you don't have to do that. And you certainly aren't going to learn how to use it if you spent that much on it. Yeah. You know, go get you a really good, well-made knife and learn how to use it. Yeah, absolutely. Get some more marks on it, man. Which, man... As, as much as I'm not
0: excellent at it, I'm getting better at it. If you cannot sharpen that knife,
1: it is a useless tool. There's a little bit of an art to that. That's another podcast, too.
0: And you woodworkers out there, if you haven't heard it a thousand times, and this is the first time you're hearing it, don't even be messing with hand tools if you can't get that thing wicked sharp. And that's that stinks to hear because it's not fun to do that, uh, I, to, at least to me. But it's it's a necessity.
1: My wife will laugh at me. We'll just be sitting around, and I'll have my strop out, and I'll have one of them, and I'll be finishing the edge on it. How many times are you going to sharpen that? That's until it's sharp. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I use mine for everything constantly, I do. so they go dull quick. You of course, can... you know my my everyday carrier has been for years, as you well know, is a Boker Kalishnikov. Yeah. That one I will out. Yeah. I've carried them for. 20 plus years i Man, love yeah, them They're what a cheap. great knife yeah they're phenomenal they they yeah. hold an edge they make s style for everybody now too
0: but. yeah i it's hard for me to find because i went to buy my brother one of those because you bought me one i guess that was maybe the first year we met yeah and and i fell first in christmas, love with no, it. that was
1: our first christmas You yeah, came to the house. yeah and
0: and before that i was carrying i think i had graduated to a lock blade case knife Right, but still, there's a there's a big difference between a, a good looking pocket knife and a functional pocket knife. That's right. And that knife, the Boker Kalishnikov, was the first knife where I thought this is a tool that that's I'm right. going to use all the time.
1: That's right. Mine, and I still love that knife. Mine get just beat to snot.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's <laughs> mine's just, that's got what no color for. to it. No. And I don't know if you remember the story, and I'll tell it real quick, but. Remember, I lost it for about six months, and I was just heartbroken. I went and bought a Kershaw, which was a really good knife, and carried it and thought that that I was just going to have to move on with my life, and it was always (laughs) going to be a tear in my heart. Uh, And one day, I went out to, uh, I had some water line that was starting to be exposed near a creek on my property, and I went out there to basically put some insulation over that water line just so I could get through the next couple days. Because it gets cold right now, for instance. It's, you know, cold way below freezing. And so I went out there with, with the mindset of, you can't afford to lose another knife, buddy. You better keep this thing close. So I've got this knife in my hands, this new Kershaw. I've got my flashlight. I, I bend over the creek to fix this water line, and I see a glimmer in the flashlight. And I thought, what is that? So I pull myself out from the creek and I go over to this glimmer and there she is, blade <laughs> open, inches from falling into said creek, <laughs> suntanned from six months of being beaten day in, day out. I went inside, I washed it with soap and water, put a little four and one on there, three in one, and she was good as new. And I carried it for another two or three years until I got this bench made. That's right yeah so they're yeah tough, man, man. what tough. a killer knife they yeah are. absolutely i know that was a long rant for the kalishnikov but if you need a knife it is
1: you bet, yeah man they're yeah they're blade eight yeah. H- blade hq <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right they're the we, only
1: ones that ever have them in stock you know yeah plus okay. they're good guys but yeah we gotta we gotta we gotta move we, yeah, got, we got a lot
0: of questions for you again yeah. you got so many things so like i said you've taught me a lot about cooking yep uh barbecuing specifically yep. We don't use the same grill, but we use the same techniques. And I've adopted a lot from you, and you have, well, your grill's unbelievable. But my question is, food-related, if you could only have one last meal, what would it be?
1: Probably surprise you, because I do love my barbecue. But I'd probably have steak and shrimp. Mm. Grilled shrimp? Grilled shrimp, grilled steak, all on the same grill. Medium rare? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what would you, you know what?
0: You said it, so we might as well transition. I was
1: going to ask you what your favorite steak cooking method is. Well, now I don't know that it's it's my favorite. It's my family's favorite. Because I like a simple, you know, medium rare, not too rare, with a little garlic butter, flipped on a nice really, really red hot set of coals, not cooked too long. Yeah. Right? That's the way I like a steak. They haven't eaten dinner yet. <laughs> <laughs> little cracked pepper. Oh, man. Yeah, little sea salt. Fresh ca- fresh cracked pepper yep. and sea salt
0: will change a person's game. So yep. if you're not doing that, you need to get on that.
1: Now, that would probably be that my, now, my family's, all right, here we go. So I have to take them and I put them in a big bowl and I take a mild teriyaki and I pour the pineapple juice out of sliced pineapples and they baste in that. Then. I take the pineapples and put in it. Well, I lay the pineapples on the grill while it's just red hot, and I grill the pineapples. Then I put the steaks on and grill the steaks, and then put the pineapples on the steaks, and they call them a Hawaiian steak. That's my family's favorite way. Now, I have had this steak, and I do love it. I think I'm in the same boat as you. I love that steak, but man. Now, I'm I'm an old school when it comes to a real steak. You know, I'm a real barbecuer. I like my steak the way it was really meant to be. Couple questions that I just thought of. Um, have you ever cooked
0: a whole hog? I know you did competition barbecue back in the day. Yes. Is it a pain in the butt? I'm sure it yes. has to be.
1: It is a real pain. We had a cooker that you could cook two whole hogs nose to nose in. What? <laughs> was the reward well worth the effort put in? Not usually. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, wait a minute. The way we cooked them, you could eat every piece of it. So the food was the pork phenomenal absolutely yeah but there's okay. only so much pig you can give away
0: <laughs> okay here's another question related to that is is there any part of competition barbecuing that you think is worth it for the everyday dude
1: i'll tell you what you learn um you know there's a there's a real finesse and i won't go down a a big rabbit hole of the barbecue scene but you've got to remember that the guy that taught me to barbecue they had one big tent. They had one normal size cooker. And they had a chief cook and a helper or two. And they all could, that was the original Memphis in May competition. And you had your meat. Everybody had the same meat. You cooked it right there in front of everybody. You know, it wasn't this big show that it later became. When they figured out how many people would come, then it turned into first started on trailers we had cookers on trailers and big fences and then when the casinos came in they started rolling 18 wheelers in and restaurants and so you got to remember i started way back when it was all under the tent and jim questenberry is the man's name that taught me how to cook and he was the arkansas original arkansas traveler
0: and you guys won a couple big things right
1: Won Memphis in May three times, and then he got to go as the chief cook to the Ireland Open twice in Ireland. So
0: yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you know that I'm a PK user. PK Grills are out of Little Rock. They're yeah. they're legendary. They've been around since I believe 1952. They don't sponsor the show. I, I, I guess I'll just say the cliche. Like you, feel free to. Um, but I don't need them to sponsor me. I'm going to buy their grills regardless because they're incredible, but I'm a member of the PK group. And a lot of those guys take their PK classics and they compete in the SCA state competitions, right? Yes. And so one thing that's, I guess, sort of a letdown to me is that when I didn't know anything about what went on at those barbecue competitions, you think, well, I've got, the perfect blend of spices. I know how to cook a perfect steak. Right. I don't care what it looks like. I want sear and I want it to be, you know, I'm looking for the inside. And then from what these guys on this uh, group suggest anyway, it's more based off of the lines are perfect. Yep. You've got a perfect center that's that's based on, a, I guess, a temperature rating. Yes. And they're looking for a very specific flavor, not your take on a flavor. Right? Yes.
1: And so that kind of bums me out. Are they all like that? You know, it is. With barbecue, it's real similar. It's going to be what appeals to the judge at that time. Um, But the reason I know about what you're talking about is my nephew, talk about it running in the family. My nephew actually has been into the steak competition. Okay. The last couple here, he's been trying to eke his way in, and he can cook a mean steak. But I was trying to help him, and I was like, buddy, I'm too old to follow this many rules. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) There's a lot of rules to that steak cooking competition
0: and and i'm totally like i get how somebody could nerd out on that just oh, like yeah. we do everything else but right. there's there's special grates that you're supposed to use not just yep. the sear grates i'm sure that sear grates are,
1: are awesome uh and i don't want to get sidetracked but i got to tell well, you about no, this other grill lot, but yeah it's a lot with color like with barbecue right, it's color yeah. um it's it's taste it's smoke ring. it's you know you really when you cook something 18 hours or or a whole hog you cook 28 26 28 hours you really can't. There's one thing you cannot fake, and that's a smoke ring. Yeah. 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 You, you, know, you just can't. So yeah. that's obviously always one of the things. They want to make sure that you got a good, deep smoke ring. That means you cooked it low and slow, <clears throat> means you used the right wood the right way. Let's see. Next question here. Oh, this is our last little
0: food segment question. Right. And you said you had to think hard about it. So I'm, I'm excited
1: now for your answers. What are three foods? That you hate. Man, right at the very top of the list, I had a buddy just convinced me I was going to love Vietnamese fish soup.
0: I don't know that I've had that.
1: Oh, no. I really felt like somebody just dipped them in a bucket in my water, in Ugh. my broth and heated it up. It was really horrible. Was the smell bad? No, you would. Th- I, I'm not one of those. He loves it. Lots of people do. I mean, lots of people do. For me, and I love fish. I love all kinds of fish. It, it, not fish broth. <laughs> I can't do it, man. I can't do it. <laughs> okay, so Vietnamese fish soup, first Ooh, one. Second yeah. one? Now, the second two, a lot of people are going to roll over when I tell this. Your podcast is going to blow up because it's these are two of people's favorites, and I despise both. Pumpkin pie and sweet potato pie. Really? I do not. And I like sweet potatoes. I don't like pumpkin. Okay, let
0: me, uh, pecan pie. Love pecan pie. Okay, so I'm the opposite. I I love pumpkin pie. Okay. And I've never really, sometimes I'll eat a pecan pie, but most of the time I don't like that. But, but
1: yeah, that's sacrilege down I here see, in the I South. I knew you yeah. were going to say that. Yeah. Everybody, and and it just blows everyone's mind when I tell them. And that. I'm not even from here. I feel bad for the people that are from here for you just <laughs> saying that right now, no, Phil. I knew that was going to be controversial when I put those down. <laughs> hey, those were those were the, immediately those came to mind before fish soup. If that tells you anything. <laughs>
0: wow. <dude. laughs> wow. Man. So, um, I was, I want to tell only one of my most hated foods only because i gave you the last crack at changing my mind and it didn't work and i want to take you back uh maybe five years right uh we had a party at work and we hired you to come out and cater it and i eat anything you cook anytime i love everything you cook i've had a strong hatred for mushrooms since a, a wee lad and uh, I saw your tray of mushrooms, and you had, obviously, you're a good salesman. You, you pitched me on them, and I thought, this is going to be the day that my life turns around. I've met a, a wonderful woman. <laughs> Jessica has taught me to appreciate a Brussels sprout, an asparagus, a sweet potato. Maybe this is another stone that I need to turn over. And I took that mushroom and I thought, don't go, don't just go halvesies here. Go all in. Pop that sucker in there and, and commit to what's about to happen. Uh, and I did. And I hate. I, I feel bad saying it to you face to face if I haven't already, but I still wholly hate mushrooms. Oh no, that's okay. Yeah, it's it's and it's all texture based. As we say, it's yeah. a
1: consistency, consistency and texture thing. Yeah, it really the, is. A lot of people don't like uh, don't like duck or don't like goose right right yeah because yeah. of the consistency thing now some just don't like it but for a lot of people it's because they think it has a consistency sort of like liver Oh,
0: yeah so i now can I see that now i think totally. i might be able to handle a raw mushroom i don't ever eat them but i feel like that's a completely different texture well, but... no, you said we were going to
1: keep this pg <laughs> well played we're, sir. we're not going that far in my past well
0: played sir <laughs> um so yeah that man i'm glad that that, that was a good Okay, Vietnamese fish soup, pumpkin pie, sweet potato pie. Yep. Don't hate him. I promise. Other other than that, he's got good advice. (laughs) Um, we're gonna go. I mean, 180 degrees here. But I, you know what? This is the perfect time for me to tell the story of how, absolutely, how I I allowed you to adopt me, right? So uh, here I am, a a poor pup, and I I feel bad telling these stories because, but it needs to happen. Okay, I'm young-ish, teaching guitar lessons for Palmer. This was, uh, man, again, I guess probably seven years ago. I've been with them eight years.
1: Yeah, it was right when you had started. Yeah,
0: so se- seven years probably. And I was teaching Uncle Phil. He got put on my student load to teach him guitar. And so I was teaching him guitar. I can't remember exactly what your lesson was on Thursday. Yeah. And uh, I went to lunch that day for his lesson or one of his lessons. And I had to go to Walmart and I saw this interesting truck in the parking lot. It was a little red truck, step side bed. Any of you that know me know immediately what we're talking about. But anyway, I saw this beautiful truck and there was this old man next to it. uh, Or he came back out when I was ready to leave. And I said, man, what is that truck? And he said, it's a Chevy love. You never heard of one. And I said, I've seen a, a fleet side Chevy love. I've never seen a step side in my life. So he said, well, I'm selling it. And he gave me his number and wrote a number down, a uh, price. And so I just thought, man, I don't need to be buying a truck, but that is a, that is an adorable little truck. And so I go to my lessons that he, that afternoon and uncle Phil comes in and I said, man, I got to tell you about this truck that I saw. Um, and I go to explain to him what it is. And I said, it's a Chevy love. And he said, bear, you're not going to believe this. At this point I was already very impressed with his wide array of skills. He's already taught me some things, probably towed me out of situations at this point. And he said, "You're not going to believe this, but I'm a shit cer I used to be a certified Chevy love mechanic." And I did not believe him. But finally he convinced me, and I thought, "This dude literally knows everything there is to know about this truck." And so I said, Uncle Phil, would you like to go? I don't even think I was calling you Uncle Phil at this point. Not yet. I, I definitely wasn't. I said, man, I'm going to go look at it tomorrow. Would you want to go meet me there and look at it? Yeah. And I also called my buddy, Matt Ross, who was a body guy. And I said, Matt, come look at the body for me. So Matt meets me at the store. We meet the guy at Walmart at 10 o'clock. So we get to the parking lot. Matt and I get out of the truck, and Uncle Phil is already under the truck with a flashlight inspecting the <laughs> chassis. And at that point, I knew... That I needed this man to be in my life, and so he 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 adopted me, and he took took me under his wing for many many holidays when I was lonely, and uh, we don't need to get sappy again. But with that being said, he knows a lot a lot about motors, and I've I I call him a motor whisperer to some of my friends. I've seen this dude take my four wheeler not running for four months and just make it happen somehow without even having the parts to do it. He's taught me a bunch of little tricks, but man, there's a couple things that I think you've made a huge impression on me, uh, mechanics wise that I want to talk about that a lot of people don't talk about. Right. Torque specs. Right. Like if you're going to mess with anything on a car, including even your wheels, but talk to me a little bit about torque specs.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to go back a little bit so that everyone will kind of understand why I'm such an advocate, right? Yeah. So when I was young, my dad and my uncle had the Alice Chalmer tractor dealership. And that's what got me into it. I started on diesels. You don't put a 200 horsepower diesel back together, not torqued properly, right? Yeah. Not man. especially with your dad looking over your shoulder and you're <laughs> the apprentice under him. But, uh, you know, so... It really, I, there's there's a couple of sayings I used to say, and one of them, when I, when I was an Asuzu and a Honda mechanic, I would take a new technician in and they'd be like, oh, well, this car don't need this strap or it don't need this or it don't need that. And I'm like, yeah, that's why Honda and Isuzu spent millions and millions of dollars for those engineers to tell us where all those need to be so that this mechanic making $12 <laughs> an hour could tell us that that don't need them anymore. I said, man, <laughs> you could have saved them a lot of money, you know? Yeah. So I've always been just a real, you know, and there is some overkill, don't get me wrong, but I've just always been one of those that put it back the way that it came, right? If you understand hot riding, which is where a lot of my love came from, and all of the tweaks and pushing one to its absolute limits, if you're going to do that, it better have two really level surfaces, a really nice gasket between it, and it better be torqued properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, no, you know, for more than anything is, uh, let's say, for instance, you're putting an aluminum head on a cast iron block like we have with your situation, yeah. right? Yeah. So what happens, number one, if you don't do it in order, because the other thing you see is we always start and we take three steps to tighten it all the way to the final yeah. torque. But we always start in the middle and work our way out. So we don't warp the head. So you don't warp it. You want to yeah. tighten it evenly all the way. Yeah. You want to stretch the bolts evenly all the way. Yeah. Same so, concept with the wheel again, but... Absolutely. Yeah. Anything you do. Now, that goes back. The reason there's torque specs, there used to not be a torque spec necessarily.
0: Drum heads as well, folks. Drum I, I, heads as well. Now, I didn't and know Banjo that. heads. I didn't know that. Absolutely. Even tension, yeah. Or, right. or what you'll do is you'll create a secondary membrane. Right. And that's why people put moon gel and tape towels all over everything. They can't get rid of that secondary membrane. It's making another sound in that drum. Anyway, uh-huh. back to the
1: motors. <laughs> Well, you know, with a wheel, I was going to say, you keep yeah. talk, You refer to the wheel. The reason that we really started paying attention to wheel specs, torque specs especially, the reason that the torque sticks were created, for instance, it going on an impact. Yeah. Once we had aluminum wheels, it changed the game, right? Because aluminum wheels expand and contract. Right. With heat and okay. cool more than a steel wheel. So that's where it really became important. If you over-torqued it, you had enough thickness there, you could warp a brake rotor. If you under it with the heat and the cooling, you could loosen a lug right, Yeah. So again, it goes back to engineering. How far does this bolt need to stretch to hold under the hottest and coolest conditions?
0: Yeah. Speaking of bolts stretching a little bit and aluminum heads and cast blocks, Yes. we had a bolt break on us. Yep. And this is another one of my favorite things about you. Uncle Phil will not tell you how deep you are in the trenches until you've made it out of the trenches (laughs) on the other side. So, uh, you know, we stripped the Allen head, not by choice. I mean, we're working with a 40-year-old motor at this point, you know. But stripped the Allen head. If any of you guys know me again, you know that at this point I am already assuming that I'm going to have to light the truck on fire. And uh, then he proceeds to tell me, well, we just got to drill the top of the head off. So we do that. And I'm telling you, we hit every snag along the way in that extraction. But I cannot believe we finally got that sucker out of there after heat and everything. I mean, I was ready to think that we were going to have to throw that block or, or do just, I didn't even know what the
1: next step would have been. But that's, that's a. Your, your... As long as you take it easy and don't destroy it along the way, you can salvage it. <laughs> yeah, 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 but that was a miraculous deal there. But yeah, that's I had, definitely I had one of in, your talents. Is... I had run into that. You know, over the years when you ha- when you work on Suzus and Hondas like I did in out in Memphis, saw a lot of things. You're going to see a lot of overheated engines. Well, imagine a aluminum head that's warped in the middle, standing up holding those bolts tight. Okay, oh, against wow. a cast iron block that's come in on a wrecker.
0: Yeah, probably with that factory. I've seen them, many of them
1: break on yeah. brand new when they were new. Yeah, I mean, they just I have so imagine. much pressure on them that they didn't have enough of the tools harder than the head, right? So there was no way to break them loose. You would always either strip a head or something. You didn't break the bolt. They were hard enough, but you, the Allen head, just yeah. it would strip the Allen head. Man. So. I'd seen that before a time or three or 12, but, <laughs> um, and
0: I got to, have I told you the story about the, the Imperial, the, my grandpa's Imperial that I inherited. So it's a 64 Mopar. Right. And, um, we were going to do the brakes on it. And we couldn't get the, the lug nuts off the front left tire. Okay. And so uh, John's brother Joe comes in and he said, well, use Miss Piggy, which Miss Piggy is this giant impact wrench. He <laughs> works for rigs, you know, so he's using I mean, he's, he's got like a 12,000-pound crane on his truck. These kind of tools. He said, use Miss Piggy. So we put Miss Piggy on there and, I mean, just snaps every one of them off. And I thought, well, no big deal, you know, whatever. Well, trying to find a... Um, what what is that part called the not the lug nut the uh, stud. the stud the stud the lug stud trying to find a stud for a 64 imperial in arkansas is next to impossible and they were like scattered like like uh, easter eggs around arkansas so i just drove and was like these guys got 3 these guys got 4 and so i get to this one and it's this old man and, and uh i said yeah they're for my 64 imperial i just couldn't break them loose and he said what wheel was it and i said it was the left driver or the driver front And he said, you know, those are reverse thread. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, there was this few years of Mopar (laughs) where they reverse threaded the driver's side. (laughs) And then it all floods back to me. I remembered my grandpa Fry telling me this story, which I always assumed he was talking about the differential, but he said, yeah, I took it to some guys in Fort Smith to have the tires changed. And they said the differential, I thought he was saying differential was backwards from everything else. And when we did the rear end first, it wasn't reverse thread. So, what I have put together was that what he was referring to was those dudes went to put new tires on there, thought the same thing as me, snapped them all off. So, the back <laughs> axle had proper threads on it, but that one front rim was still messed up. Oh, that's right. And hilarious. I'm talking, it was a nightmare. Oh, it that's was a hilarious. Nightmare. <laughs> yeah,
1: I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 Now, that's probably one brand I've been the least right yeah me too and honestly i probably wouldn't even have been attracted to it if it didn't
0: have my grandpa's touch you know right and he bought it new in 64 i think if or maybe a year or two old but he kept it drivable and maintained that whole time so Uh it was almost like i felt like he was in in heaven like looking at me like you better take that car because i know nobody else is going to (laughs) <laughs> and so I loved it. I always had, you know, but it is a, every turn you make with that thing or every step you take in that process of restoration is just like, Oh man, You it's always something different. It's always three times you thought it was going to cost. It always takes twice as long as you thought it was going to take. So and, and, I keep saying that you're not going to surprise me anymore with that car, but I keep getting surprised. And my poor stepdad, who's the sweetest man in the world feels so bad and and I think he sees the drive that I have to get it going, that he's always chipping into the bills to get it going, which we're sunk so deep into this thing now. But when it drives,
1: buddy, it's going to be sweet. Well, it's going to be cool. Yeah. But
0: final notes on the torque specs. I know we got a little distracted
1: there. No, uh, I've just, you know, it is a very, very important thing, um, you know, and especially with engine building, but it goes all the way down to your, your rims, you know? Well,
0: and one thing that I was going to say is I think one thing that I wanted to bring up about this is that it doesn't just apply to the things that you think are going to be high torque. No. It's the Actually, simple it's stuff, more, too.
1: Actually, it's more important in inch-pounds. A lot of times an inch-pound right. yeah. torqued item is a lot more important than a foot-pound torqued item.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, after
1: you did it for years and years, um, we knew how much of the wrench we could grab, so to speak. And how strong we were, right? Yeah. I could al- we could almost torque something. Right. Yeah. That's just round learn your by own... feel. Yeah. And then we grab a torque wrench and we do the next two rounds. But you know, I could hit fifty, sixty pounds by feel on most of them for the first rounds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one thing that you that some people may not know is that if advanced auto parts, O'Reilly, AutoZone, all those companies, they have those tools available for you to rent free of charge. All you do is pay the deposit for the tool. And when you bring that back, they're going to give you your deposit in full. So if you want to be that tinkerer, which we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a second, but if you get into the the idea of tinkering on old cars, you need to know that in the back of your mind, advanced auto parts or whoever you choose, they've got probably the tool that you're dreading having to pay $75, $100, $200 for. So check with them first. Because that stuff is very important to use the right tool for the
1: job. It's going to make a difference in the longevity of your build. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're not going to have a problem with one end of the head not being as tight as the other or have it, you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. Yep.
1: Let's talk about, this is another impressive thing that, that the
0: first time I saw Uncle Phil do this, I thought, I didn't realize you could do this with such precision. (laughs) And and if you guys know me, you know how nerdy I am about specs and tolerance and just down to the nitty gritty dollar bill thicknesses. And this was one of those things that my eyes just kind of like, when I saw it happen, my my eyes just kind of like came out of their head a little bit. And, and I'm talking about applying silicone sealant to gaskets.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's so funny that you nerd out on that. But but Before
0: we talk about this, I want you to remember the oil pan gasket that John and I had done. Right. Which we thought was the proper method. So maybe you could talk us through that from somebody who knows how to do it versus how to properly
1: do it. I think I can break this down pretty well for folks, right? I'm excited about this. Right. Because... Where he's going with this is is pretty funny, but it, it's it's really a simple concept. Less is really better, <laughs> right? Hard <laughs> to imagine though. But less and that's is not sarcastic. Really, yeah. No, less is really better. You want a very, very fine whatever you're using. You want a very fine line of it. You want to you want it very evenly spread. Um, it, the reason you and John had problem with it, and this is what I want to give to the average Joe, right? You think, oh, it's not going to leak if I put silicone on both sides and I just glob it in there and I get these screws in there, right? And I crank the crap out All right. of it. No torque wrench. Exactly. Yeah. No torque wrench. I'm yeah. going to crank these oil pan bolts down yeah. as hard as I can. I'm going to crack every gasket between the holes of my oil pan and give it somewhere to leak. Yeah. <laughs> but think about it this way, right? Until you got these icicles is- of sealant coming off the sides. So, yeah. so silicone, you think of it not only as a silicone sealer. What else do you use silicone for? um well i use it in my tubs uh but that's also a sealer it's a sealer lubricant bill we said we were going to keep this (laughs) pg-13 well we're almost done so. (laughs) so what you guys did basically you put a lubricant on both sides of the rubber gasket to give it something to slide out from between
0: right right okay
1: now, if you're going to do that, what you have to do is you have to put a really thin wipe. You'd, if it's a rubber gasket, you really need none if, you know, except in your corners and you want to do that on your engine block in y'all's case, right? Right. So cork gasket. Quart, on a cork gasket, you know, me on a cork gasket, if it's a nice flat surface, I like the red high tack. Yeah. Because you can spray the surface, spray the gasket, That's right, let yeah. them tack, stick it to it. It don't come off. And then that's both sides of that cork gasket? It depends on uh what the what the other, what substrate is other like surface it? is, right? Because okay, you yeah. don't if it's a if it's a valve cover gasket. No. Substrate might have been the wrong word. I don't want people
0: right. to think I'm trying to speak too big
1: here. No, but you know, if you if you're if it's gonna sit on that flat aluminum block and it's gonna seal your valve cover gasket, then no, you don't want anything on the bottom because like in your case, I you have to pull it off and adjust the valves once in a while. Yeah. But yes, that's the perfect thing if you're gonna use cork or you're gonna do a head gasket. Because you need something that's not going to take up space there, right? right? If you're using a rubber gasket on a valve cover or oil pan, then what you want to do is you want to take your silicone and the end of it, there's always steps and there's usually three or four different sizes. So you need to look at that because what you're going to see is that it's going to come out a little bit bigger around, right? For each step that, step that you go up, right? So you're talking about the so nozzle on the, the nozzle, on the, the little seal. plastic yeah, okay, part cool. that you yep. screw on the end. Mm-hmm. You, what you want to do is take a razor blade or a knife and at an angle, cut that. Yeah. Because you want a tip to where when you're holding it down, you're actually dragging that line with your silicone. Right. right? Kind of like icing. Yes. Yeah. So then what you want to do is just, depending on how, how wide you need it, that's what those steps are for. Because what you're putting the bead down for is just to get the silicone there. Then you're going to smooth the silicone down and make sure that you get it nice and even like we always do. And then you're going to put your rubber gasket on it and you're going to allow that to set a bit. And if you do that on most things, you don't need any silicone on the other side. Okay. So if you're you're working on an oil pan gasket or you're working on a valve cover gasket and it's got a rubber gasket, that's why it's there. It'll seal on that aluminum. You need to seal it to the metal so it don't move when you're putting it in there. And you know what? Let's go back to torque specs for a second. If
0: we over-torque that valve cover on that specific motor, yes. then we introduce some serious problems with leaking through those grommets on those bolts. Absolutely. Every single time. And we have to replace them every time. We have yep. to hammer out the... Well,
1: it's a pretty bad design to start with. I hate to say hey, that. Hey, take but it, it easy. <laughs> you got to think about when that thing was made. <laughs> they don't yeah. do stuff like that. You know, you, introducing a metal uh hollow nut with a rubber grommet on a metal valve cover gasket on sitting on an aluminum head that heats up and cools down and in the weakest part of the structure and i only have three of them (laughs) was the poorest design out of the whole thing it really is you know you new ones leaked i mean (laughs) yeah you
0: know what's funny that's i love that truck to death But that that valve cover gasket causes me more headaches, or just the valve cover in general. Right. The oil fill always leaks, and and I've replaced it constantly. I always have issues with, you know, the semicircles are a pain
1: in the butt if you don't do it right. That metal valve cover, now that you could, and we may have to look for one, but it would sure ruin the originality of it. But You might find you, if you could find you an aluminum valve cover. Would cure your problem.
0: Oh, I wouldn't care about originality if we could find that.
1: That'd be sweet. That yeah. would fix a lot of it because yeah. it's more rigid. Those tin ones, those really stamped tin. It's not even metal. We're giving yeah. it a lot of credit.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it feels like I could bake a nice pie in there. though. Right? maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not even if it would hold up to yeah, 350 no oven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. True. Um, oh. Okay. Well, I did not expect this, but this is you're a natural at this in in the mic situation and and just. Obviously, you've talked like this before, so that's great. We are quickly exceeding the time limit that I try to make these things uh, stay within. So I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. Yes, sir. And I think we're going to do a part two. Okay. There's so much more stuff that we literally haven't even touched on yet. Right. That that I think are just... Yeah, you've got a lot of cool stuff that that you do or have done, and I love talking about it. So if you're okay with it, let's stick with that plan. All right. So what you... um. We've been obviously nerding out about some classic cars. If we haven't made it clear yet, I have at least two, which that is my 64 Chrysler Imperial, my 1980 Chevy Love four-wheel drive. Um, but one thing that I think that a lot of people don't don't necessarily understand about getting into antique vehicles these days is, is how big of a pit they can actually be, right? Yeah. And so, you know... It, And what you need to know that I think is important, and just to go back to another story, I took somebody who I consider an expert in motors and an expert in body work to look at this Chevy love with me. And as much as I love that truck, we've encountered a lot of different problems with that. And we fixed them, and I've enjoyed every minute of it, but we bought a running, driving vehicle that we drove home. You were in the car with me. We drove it back, what, 90 miles maybe? Yeah, so... What I th- what I think, a couple points that I want to make, and then I want to see what, how you feel about it, is what's some good advice for somebody that's thinking about tinkering with an old automobile or tractor or the stuff we get into, Four, four-wheelers, all this stuff, right? So, right. But w- one thing, and I already touched on it earlier, I think that one, two things that I think are important for me always when I'm messing with this stuff is whatever money I think it's going to cost to do that job or to restore that car- I literally have not found yet that it hasn't cost me three times that amount <laughs> and that at any yeah. time frame that I thought it was going to be would almost double or triple as well with the job when I'm, especially when I'm hiring it out to somebody or even with us, with our busy schedules, Absolutely, we've been needing to do a valve cover for months and yeah. haven't had the time, right? Yeah. So that's a big one for me. Whatever you think you're going to spend on it, it, it as, as funny as it is, triple that budget. That's that to me has never proven different. And I don't think if you asked any of my friends that are into this, they would say anything different from that. Would you agree with that? I do. Yeah. And then I have another one, which is if it's your first time, get something that you can drive home safely that will run every time you're ready to mess with that car. If you want to mess with the seats, then you drive it into the garage and you mess with the seats and you drive it back out. If you want to mess with the rear end, you drive it in, you do it, and you drive it back out. But if this is your first time and you think that you're going to take a car that you've got a trailer home to work on, it's going to be an overwhelming project. Would you
1: agree with that? Yep. So my advice. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Start with something that doesn't exceed your skill. All right. Like he said, if, if your skills are very minimal and, and your shop space is minimal or where you can work, your tool set is minimal get something that you're going to be able to modify with bolt-ons and that you're going to be able to do in your driveway. You know, don't think that you're all of a sudden going to be able to have everything you need to do a rear end or a transmission or pull a motor in your driveway. Right. So uh, my biggest piece of advice was, would be keep it within your skill set because it's just going to frustrate you and it's going to become a piece of, yard art otherwise but you know realistically um anything you're going to go about and I, I would give that advice to a tinkerer of any type i don't care if you're getting into woodwork and i don't care if you're getting into whatever you're getting into yeah agreed 100 percent. Right? yeah you know don't exceed your tools or your skill set or you're not going to enjoy it that don't mean you can't get better at it later and 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 then get better you know you know what i mean and get better tools or but just
0: well, and it's not safe.
1: That's a big. one, It's too. really it's just not, not safe. Yeah. Well, and you know, I I don't really want to be the one sitting in the driver or the passenger seat of that car that 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 that, that the rookie just showed me how great a job he can do on the, you know, putting a whole new front suspension under it. <laughs> That's his a whole other
0: <laughs> podcast of stories from from bad adventures, uh, and I'm sure you
1: could probably have four of them. Oh man, yeah. some of the things I've seen. <laughs> Uh, but that would be my biggest advice, you know. And and if you're gonna even get into something, I'm gonna be pretty blunt. I mean, obviously, it was pretty obvious, you know, to me if it wasn't to bear. But I think it probably was to him. He's just being kind. That I was never gonna be exceptional guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> that don't mean I don't enjoy it. it. Don't mean me that mean that he didn't get me to the place I wanted to be, and that I didn't accomplish a hobby. You know, I can pick my guitars up and make sound and make music come out of them, right? That's where I wanted to be. I'm not going to go perform for anyone. I hardly even do in front of my wife, right? Right. I yeah. did that for me. something I've been wanting to know how to do for years. But to think that I had any higher expectation than that would have been an unrealistic goal for me. At my age, and it's just not something that I'm great at. I have to work really, really hard at it. You know, so find something that you can realistically at some point master. You know, if you're not a mechanic, you've never been mechanically inclined, you're not going to become mechanically inclined overnight, right? There's a certain of amount of natural ability that that if you're going to do something. So no matter what it is, find something you enjoy, but find something in your skill set.
0: It's hard to not want to just rip right into whatever you just pick up too, you know? Like it is. If I If I end up, this was real bad when I first started working on guitars, but... You know, you're hungry to take anything anybody will give you to work on. Yeah. And then you think you take things that are way beyond your scope of repair. You don't have the tools to do it. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the cojones to do it. Right. But you try. And then, (laughs) and then what happens? You get about halfway through, you realize, oh my goodness, I have put myself in a corner. Yeah. And then guess what else goes in the corner? That unfinished guitar. Yeah. And it sits there and you've got that time and money into it. So, yeah. I think that you know. I think the love was a very pleasant
1: purchase for me. We got oh, absolutely. it for. So I think we paid three
0: thousand dollars for
1: that truck. And as your patience and skills grew, we had to put a motor in it. Yeah, we've we've done the motor now. We've. Uh, why did we take the head off the timing belt? Uh, we did a timing chain. Uh, yeah, we timing replaced chain, a yep, head sorry. gasket. You got overheated. We had to put a head gasket.
0: On yeah, it. it's got all new front to back fuel to fuel yep. tank. Yeah. Um, all new braking system. We've done a lot of stuff. But you do it overnight. How no. long have you had that love? Uh, almost five years right? now, I think, yeah. And that's yeah.
1: the other realistic thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, I will give one little p- last piece of advice if it, if it does concern an automobile. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talked about make sure you can drive at home. If it's not, for those guys, for those of you that are more advanced, don't kid yourself and how much time you're going to have or what you're going to do make sure that the very first thing you do is make it a rolling chassis. Get it to where it'll run, drive, stop, back up, do all yeah. the things it's supposed to do before you go put $4,000 interior and a $9,000 paint job on it.
0: Yeah, I had to learn that lesson with m- when Dave, my stepdad, and I, uh, he, my first classic car was a 76 Mustang II with a 2.3, I think, four-cylinder. Right. And uh, he – He gave me a budget, and he said, we're going to restore this car. He said, I'm not going to tell you what to do or how to spend it, but let's think about the fact that it needs to have the motor rebuilt. Right. And it's got to have this. And my mind immediately went to stereo. Uh, I need to get some rear speakers in this thing. Uh, (laughs) These windows are way too see-through. And, uh, yeah, I just want to see how fast we can get it. And that was all I cared about, which you're yeah. not going to get a four-cylinder fast, but he, st- he let me do it. You know, he's right. like, yeah, go ahead. If you want to spend your money on a crane cam for a four-cylinder, have fun with it. Well, now
1: you I'm going to take up a little bit because that pony <laughs> motor, that 2.3 happened to be one of those old Ford Performance four-cylinders. It was a, they called that the iron horse or iron pony, I believe.
0: I would call this one the Iron.
1: <laughs> I don't even know. You know they put those. They put those in Pintos. They put them in the little Ford Courier truck. Oh, I understand. Yeah, but Let's remember this
0: was mid fuel crisis. I Look, mean that thing dude, was sucked I, down.
1: It probably had a whopping 70 horsepower. I think it
0: was 70 horsepower. Yeah, no joke. I think that was literally it. And the V8 that year, the 302, which I've got one of those out in my field yep. to restore. Right. Yep. The Cobra. It had 130 it, horsepower yeah, because 100%. of all the emissions on that. Yes. Thing. Yeah. So anyway, but he let me do it. Luckily, we ended up with a pretty good looking car and we were able to kind of figure that out. But yeah, man, it's so easy to put your money into the it things is. that you, it's, it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. But again... <laughs> Get that thing rolling at least, so sometimes you can get it out of sight because it's going to take, take it, over
1: your life. Look, well, you know, you may hit that spot with your wife where you got to go take it to your buddies and hide it. It needs to be able to run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's when so you start putting those parts that you shouldn't have bought in the first place. Yeah, well, those are, yeah, those you have sent to his house anyway. <laughs> Oh, those are that isn't advice for us. We're not going <laughs> yeah, no, no, there. No, okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh,
0: so, uh. yeah, I hope that's some good advice. I'm I'm in no way not advocating going and getting classic cars. I, I love them. I think they're awesome. Any of that stuff. I mean, I am so obsessed with the things, the way things used to be made. And I just feel like. As long as you're realistic. Yeah, absolutely. It's a f- yep. wonderful, beautiful thing as long as you're realistic. Yeah. You know what? You want to learn to work on a motor? Go get you a '70s lawn boy push mower. Like, <laughs> start with one cylinder and a rattle can of yeah. spray paint. i get you know? a Mercury
1: outboard. Yeah,
0: get you a 3.9 Mercury outboard. That's something, what I have. I've got one of those down. in the shed out there. Just man. tear
1: it down. It's real simple. We'll we'll do a YouTube video for you guys on
0: yeah. how to rebuild the 4.0. But uh, yeah, yeah. Start with something that you feel good about, you know. And anyway, we could we could beat that horse to death, yeah. but. I think that's a good segue into our final question here.
1: Is what's
0: what's one saying that kind of sticks in your head from a, from a mentor in
1: your life? It's pretty easy. One of the one of the one of my favorite people is Zig Ziglar, even though I've never really been in sales. But tell me who Zig Ziglar is. Zig Ziglar was a motivational speaker. Uh, he wrote lots and lots of books. He's traveled. He's taught many people. Uh, he wrote over the top which was one of the one of the most popular sales. Like I say, he's more sales driven, but he's just really a uh, a good Christian motivational speaker and he has been. Now he doesn't anymore. Um I think he he got in bad health a few years ago and he may have passed now, but um I've got to meet him a few times. I got to take a one on one course with him once. So he is the most down to earth, I guess, guy. He's kind of Southern, so I just really enjoy his sayings. And I thought that when you ask about Tinker's advice and kind of the whole theme tonight, he had a saying that I thought fit tonight's show perfectly. You don't have to be great at something to start, but you have to start to be great at something.
0: Yeah, valid. Heavy. Yeah. Well... Folks, I think we're going to end on that deep, sage advice from Phil, what's your middle name? I don't even know if I know. My name is Philip. Philip Ira Ellis, one of the most important men in my life. I cannot wait for part two. He will be returning many, many times because he has a wealth of knowledge that I hope to share with you guys for however many years we can keep this thing going. So ask your questions, make us crazy. Yeah, please do. Yeah, I mean if you want to pick a guy's brain, I listened to this guy nerd out with my brother Sam over some sort of microcomputer that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> Raspberry Pi. Raspberry Pis. And not only were they talking about the Raspberry Pi, they were talking about the different versions that they preferred (laughs) to use. Yeah, I'm a bit of a Linux geek, too. Yeah, I don't even know what Linux is. So... Uh, I think uh, they make bandsaw blades and, and <laughs> jigsaw blades is that the same that's company yeah, you think that, that, that's yeah that's it uh, yeah cool The one's got the little penguin on it yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah alright Uncle Phil thank you so much hey man. I enjoyed it I oh, really dude, did yeah I'm, so, I'm looking forward to number number two for absolutely. us Absolutely. let's uh, just like with Charlie let's go get us some pizza let's do it man alright buddy